Hola, folks. Welcome to class. Going to give it about five seconds for all the kids who hated school to drop out. Go for it. This is the first series where I feel like I'm actually teaching, and the class is World Studies. So I'm going to quickly give you an elevator pitch. What is it? Why should you do it? All right. This is a social studies view of how the world works, right? There is nature. There are laws to nature. So you got in geography, you got physical geography. So that's everything that's not human, essentially. And then you have human geography. Humans are incredibly complex, coming from a human. All animals really are, but there are there is a nature to how we behave, right? Because we are animals, right? So individually, that's psychology, how we behave, what makes us tick, and then collectively, that's sociology, what makes us tick. Now, that's even within our own culture, which in the United States is kind of difficult to narrow down. But then what happens when you start to have really, I mean, all these diverse cultures, right? And how are they interacting with one another in regards to trading, in regards to foreign relations, right? Looking at a different nation and asking yourself, like, what are these people like? Why are they like this, right? We're going to be breaking this class down into four units. I teach this class, by the way, in high school. This is an honors level class. Um, don't let that uh, freak you out. But we're going to break this class down into four units. The first unit being culture. So pretty much what is culture? What makes up a culture? And then we're going to be looking at cultural differences. So the big question in that unit is, are there cultural differences we just don't understand or is there universal right and wrong? For instance, uh, sacrificing a child that you think is a witch in Papua New Guinea and eating them. Is that something that we should accept? The point being looking at people that are different from us and trying to figure out how to understand them and then can we even develop opinions on that? The second unit is industrialization, essentially economics, right? Um, means of production, how are nations developing an income, essentially? How are they selling it to other countries? We're going to look at things such as the trade war. We're going to look at developing nations. So nations who have not necessarily industrialized, more nomadic. I mean, you can go, there are still cultures, we'll call them, um, of people in Africa that are hunter-gatherers, right? Not industrialized at all. We're going to be looking at sweatshops. Is it ethical to buy from like Walmart? It's complicated, as is all social studies. We're going to get into renewable, non-renewable resources, climate change, whatever else. Liberty. We're going to get into the individual versus the collective argument, right? The spectrum. How much individual freedom should you sacrifice for the greater good of the community? What does that look like in all other countries? And not literally all of them, but we're going to compare. Obviously, North Korea is a big one on one side of the spectrum versus the United States, Scandinavia. Um, we're going to be looking at very conservative cultures in the Middle East where religion and the separation of church and state does not necessarily exist. Well, not, not, not necessarily in like ISIS, for instance. It doesn't. There is no separation of church and state. Mosque and state, I guess we'll call it. And then the last unit is gender. So we're going to be looking a lot at like what does gender even mean? Because it's a definitely more um, relevant discussion today. And then let's say like gender roles around the world. And that really gets us into discussions more of like identifiers, race, gender, sexual orientation. What is that like all around the world? And can that help us understand our own culture? Now, that's what this class is. Hopefully you're still listening. 
the why you should listen to this class. So I did a series called The Process. That's curiosity plus objectivity. So objective curiosity. So just trying to figure out what it is for the sake of knowing what it is leads to true understanding. Now, true understanding when reflected upon leads to wisdom. We are trying to figure out the laws of nature for the world, how the world functions, what makes the world the way it is. So we can individually, and then hopefully more people listen to this collectively, we can navigate and not have to go through as much resistance as we would without understanding how the world works. Rather than just being completely reactionary and like, let's say you see things such as Hong Kong and you're trying to figure out, you're like, you see Hong Kong in the news and you're like, I have no clue what's going on. This class isn't going to get you like fully up to date on every single thing that's happening in the world, but we're going to talk about like sovereignty, right? So you're going to see things such as Hong Kong in the news and then you're already going to have a general understanding as to like the concepts that are being discussed here. That should then lead to a one, a quicker, but also a more effective and efficient formulation of opinion. Um, your opinion doesn't always matter. My opinion doesn't always matter either. But if you understand something better and you've, well, like I said, like understand the algorithm of how the world works, your opinions, I would argue, would be more wise. And hopefully, you are curious about the world. You're interested in learning about other cultures. You're interested in learning about economics. You're interested in how the world works. If that is you, welcome to class, folks. I am Mr. Stevenson. You can just call me Stevenson. Let's do it. When I first got hired at Big Spring High School, I did the interview and then I asked, like, what would I be teaching? They're like, world studies and geography. I'm like, oh, because I had taught world history, sorry, American history before that. And I really liked American history. I didn't really, I knew some world history. I didn't know all of it. I still don't. And then geography, I was like, well, I've read Nat Geo a few times. Obviously, when you're a teacher, you have to, if you're going to teach something, you have to understand it fully. So I dove right in. I love it now. And it's funny how geography and world history and American studies, but geography plays such a part, right? It's a social studies view. And I'm going to say this a few times throughout this episode and throughout class. If you don't know, social studies is essentially human geography and it's looking at humans. You've humans and then you've everything else and that's a very human centric way of looking at it but that's just the way we're going to look at it right social studies is law geography psychology sociology obviously history economics government anything that's human created is social studies now 
I came across a dilemma that I realized um, when I started teaching world studies. And that is when you're, when we're teaching in public school, when we're teaching us history, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. We give two classes. So it's essentially from like not 1492 to, to the end of the civil war. So that's like 18, that's not like it's 1865. And then the second class is post-Civil War to about as far as you can. And realistically, that's probably like Vietnam. I definitely did not get past Vietnam when I was in high school. Um, I'm teaching American studies now, so we'll see where I get this year. Right, but that's two classes to cover really 1600 to present for one country. The world history class is... 1500 to present so that's covering more time and it's the history of the world so that's every country in one class so two classes to cover one country about 400 years one class to cover all the countries in 500 years there leaves that's that's a dilemma and i'm realizing this as i'm teaching or like starting to teach this i'm like the question is what am I going to teach? What am I not going to teach in regards to content? And there was like a set up curriculum. You then should ask yourself, like, who's deciding this curriculum? I think that's a major question that's being asked for American studies, American history lately, right? It's like, is this just a whitewashed curriculum? It is in a sense. It's very complicated. There are so many factors that go into it. So don't just immediately, and that's the other thing, like just be objective and trying to understand it. Don't just immediately develop your opinion. What we can assume, and it is true, it's definitely a white, more white perspective than anything else. But anywho, world history. I have to cover the history of the world in one class. That's impossible. So then I have to pick and choose what I'm putting in there, right? And like, I barely taught the French Revolution in one of my first years and a student teacher, which is fine, was like, are you kidding me? Like you barely taught the French revolution. Like that's so important. It's like, okay, but like what about the Rwandan genocide? Or like Mao and China, like there's so much. It's overwhelming. So then I started to think like, one, what's important to teach? Two, going from the assumption that even no matter what I teach, unless a kid like really connects to it and like they become fascinated and fixated on it, they're probably going to forget most of the stuff that I teach and not, they're going to forget like little details. So they're not going to remember the Hutu and the Tutsi. They're going to remember the video I showed them of a woman with her hand chopped off talking about how she was hiding in a church that was blown up with grenades. They're not going to remember the details. So that leaves me with a existential crisis of like, okay, well, what's the point of teaching content? Anyway, I started to do research and we changed the approach to teaching about the world rather than going from continent to continent and saying because this is how we did it before we'd start with Europe we do South America we do Africa 
we do the Middle East and then we do Asia. And we'd pretty much be like crunching Asia because you can never cover all the content. But then you'd say, how did this continent develop from 1500 to present? And again, you have to like pick and choose. And it also just turns into how did Europe screw over the world? Which by the end, you pre- I just would do like, and then guess what happened? And then they'd be like, the students would be like, Europe. I'm like, that's right. With colonization, like England covered the entire globe. And in a sense, Europe screwed everyone over for their benefit. It also developed other nations. It's complicated. We'll get into it. I figured after doing research, rather than teaching chronologically, let's teach thematically. As in, pick a topic or a concept and then let's look at what that looks like around the world, how it varies, the differences, right? Compare and contrast. And then you can develop a better understanding of that theme or topic or concept best. (laughs) So the first one being culture. What is culture? Well, the best way to understand what culture is, is to look at a whole bunch of different cultures and like what makes up culture. And also to do that, once you do that, you then start to really look at your own culture. That's why traveling's great. When you travel, you get outside of your own culture. And then when you come back, you're like a student again to your own culture, which is important. It's constant reflection, which should be key. Um, Industrialization. How do nations develop? What does that do to the environment? What's going on with underdeveloped nations? So like we look at a video of a girl who has to walk like a mile down a mountain to go to some dirty water hole that like is brown and animals are drinking out of it. She fills up a, I think it's like a four gallon thing, like straps it to her back and then hikes back up the mountain. And like, that's her water for the day. Different, very different. Cause I can leave the shower on for five. I can leave it on as long as I want. I could put the shower on and I'm like, Oh shoot. I forgot to like go do something, run downstairs, respond to an email and then come back and the shower is still just blazing hot. Like the hot water is going to run out. And also that's not the case for everyone in the United States. I get that. That's not the case for everyone in the world. I think the stat is if you make over your annual income is over $36,000, you are in the 1% of the world. So we dive into what is it like for everyone else who's not as developed? Slums. We're going to look at slums, severe poverty, sweatshops, uh, liberty. What is it like to lack liberty? And what is liberty? What's it like to lack that? We in the United States, it's a cultural value. We value freedom. I don't, I don't really think a lot of people even like consider what that means. Like people know when freedom is being inhibited. So liberty is your freedom from restriction and people know when they're being restricted, such as like face masks that just triggers Americans, some Americans, because they're like, wait, you're going to tell me what to do because we value liberty, like individual freedom. What is it like for people who have minimal uh, sovereignty of a nation? So what happens when a nation starts to control another nation? Right. And to better understand, because the big question is, 
how much individual freedom should you sacrifice for the greater good of the community? In more Eastern cultures, they're much more collectively driven. As in like your own interests are not more important than the community. In the United States, it's YOLO. Do what you want. Don't tell me what to do. Uh, last one, gender. We do look at like the history of how gender roles has evolved, but then we're looking, rather than like historically and through time, we're looking spatially as well. So what is life like for a woman, let's say, in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia? Are there, in like Scandinavia, so there's interesting stuff on their getting away from gender roles, which is actually solidifying it even more. Really interesting stuff. And then we're also going to get into like non-binary gender. I included this unit because it's definitely more prevalent today. The point being, rather than looking at this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then let's go to the next space. Let's view the world from a geographic perspective. What are these people like? How developed are they? Where are they located? How is their like surrounding physical environment? How does that impact them? For instance, like in Brazil in the Amazon rainforest, it's very difficult to develop there. We're working on the skill to analyze and evaluate culturally, industrially, liberty, and then like roles, which is essentially it's just a continuation of the culture. Think of a topic like war. So, what is it? What is it good for? And some people say absolutely nothing. Others might not. So, when we're looking at war, there's two dimensions, right? It is spatially. Does war look different? in Africa than it does in Europe today? Kind of. I mean, like Europe, depend, Eastern Europe and Western Europe are fairly different. But Europe, Western Europe, and like, I want to say more developed areas are kind of going through like the cyber war. And then in Africa, and again, when I say Africa, Africa is huge. So you got to be specific about Africa, which we will get into. Well, there's a lot of factors and variables with that, right? It's like, well, are they in a civil war? Is it more like warlords because the government is not as strong? Like all these factors come into it, which the more we look at it, the better we're going to get at. Ideally, if you hear on the news, like there's a war going on in this area, you are able to place it into context. Like that is a major key. Where is it happening? What is that area like? And then you're looking at like cultural differences. If something's going on in between Pakistan and India, culture is a major factor. Like culture is 
one of the major factors. It's not necessarily about money. It could be. It's culture. That's what we're trying to focus. That's what we're working on, right? Your ability to, when you see something in the news, it's not that you know everything that's going on around the world. So right when you see India, Pakistan, you're like, oh, I know the conflict there. You are going through the process. And even when you're learning about it for the first time, you're like, okay, well, what are the cultures like? Are there any cultural differences that would be like a big deal or that would be a big deal? Uh, is this like developed nation controlling another developed nation? Is this like a revolution because the government, right? You're looking at what are all the lenses to consider this event from to better understand it. That's the point of this class. Now, that is the like geographic perspective. Then you have like the historical perspective. So I'm going to go back to war. Um, Although I guess I never left it. Uh, We're trying to understand war itself, like as a theme or a concept. The geographic perspective is how does war vary around the world? Is it the same? What are all the factors that are involved with that? How developed a nation is? Blah, blah, blah. Government, blah. Then you look back historically. What has war looked like in the past? Has it changed? Is war different now than it was 100 years ago? Literally, yes, because like the technology has changed. But war now is a lot more, and this is kind of since the Cold War, at least that is my opinion, on a larger scale, a lot more like behind the scenes spy cyber stuff, right? War has changed. Dropping drones. It's different. It's not, I'm going to send in my troops and we're going to take over this spot. It's how can we disrupt without even having to send anyone in there. War has changed. What led to the changes of war? Now, the reason why you do that, looking at like what led to the changes of war is you start to identify what are the factors or the variables that change this. Obviously, technology is a big one. So then we can try to at least consider what will war, what could war look like in the future? Like just out of curiosity and discussion, like if blank were to go down between the United States and China. Let's just play that scenario out. All right. Well, in World War One, alliances were huge, as is in every war, but in like major global conflict, World War One and World War Two, the alliances were big. So then we got to think about like, all right, well, who's more likely to team up? But then also, like, what is it? Is it China's going to send in troops into the United States or they're going to try to, which maybe they are, China and Russia are going to try to have the United States fold in on itself by getting involved in maybe elections. I don't know. Crazy. Stuff to think about, man. Uh, so, culture, industrialization, liberty, gender. 
How does it vary around the world? How is it varied throughout time? I find, and there is research and uh, expert opinion to support the way I feel. So I don't feel the way I feel just because I had a hunch. I was like, this seems like it's a better way. Then I did research and then confirmed. Now, maybe I just found stuff that confirmed how I already felt. I don't know, man. I am human. Um, But I find that doing it thematically rather than chronologically is best because if I were to find a student that I taught five years ago, I'm like, hey man, who is that guy that led the revolutions in South America and Latin America? And I'm like, uh, he was maybe, this would be my guess that he would say, well, he was like the George Washington of South America. I'm like, that's correct. That's what I said. It's Simone Bolivar. But like, what's the point of knowing that, you know? The reason why you should learn about the revolutions in Latin America, and this is this connects to that guy freaking out about French Revolution. The reason why you look at that is it should help you better understand revolutions. Why do revolutions occur? So in order to better understand revolutions, you should look at, well, what are all the different types of revolutions? How have revolutions varied? Historically and spatially. All right, well, let's take a look at a bunch of different revolutions. So what I do in the class is we talk about the word revolution. What is it? There's a few definitions. And then the one we're looking at is going to be a um, rising of the people against the government, essentially. There's like a coup d'etat. There's the Industrial Revolution, which was not violent. And then I break the class into different groups. Each group gets a revolution going all the way back to, oh shoot, what's his name? It's a slave revolution in, I think it was Roman or Greek times. I can't, like Spartacus, like that. And then there's the French revolution. There's the Soviet revolution, right? All these different ones. And then ask them to learn what caused this. Who are the different stakeholders or the people involved? Who was revolting? Who were they revolting against? Why were they revolting? How did they revolt? What was the result? So then each group comes and they come back together as a class and say like, okay, well, in this area at this time, this is why it happened. Oh, that happened for economic reasons. This one happened for religious reasons. This one happened because the people were starving to death and the government was completely just drunk on power. These people were slaves. There's a bunch of different reasons why revolutions happen. But then can we take all of that to better understand what leads to revolutions? So then what I have the students do, and by the way, I realize like I'm, this is the intro episode. Like I'm going to start teaching tomorrow or (laughs) next week. But what I have the students do then is develop a hypothesis. What causes revolutions? Because the revolution is the people, and it could be a group of people, so it might not even be all the people, 
people rising up violently against their authority, usually violently. So what causes that? And like what I do is they write on index card, they bring it up to me. Usually I say, that's not good enough. And then I'll start to rip it and they get three tries. And then I rip the index card in half and then they have to start over. Yeah, I take my hypotheses. Is a hypothesis seriously? It's a serious game. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly like my hypothesis. So if it's worded well, I am humble enough to say like, well, that's not what I how I would have said it, but that's a good hypothesis. My hypothesis is in a revolution occurs when a large enough group of people would rather be dead than live in their circumstances. Like they are oppressed so hard, religiously, economically, their liberties oppressed so hard where they're like, I would literally rather die than do this because what we're about to do is I'm going to go to war against the system and there's a decent chance I'll die. But like, I'd rather have that happen. I'd rather die trying to change this than keep living in it. My dog keeps rolling around and she is slowly going to fall off this bed. And she, I think she's just realizing this. Anywho, that in itself le helps us understand revolution. So then when you start to see stuff going on in the world, like, all right, there's an uprising here or even like in the United States. Are we about to have a revolution? Maybe a nonviolent one, but like people storming the White House, learning about other revolutions in the past will like then help you understand what is the point where people are like, screw it, and they go after the White House. It takes a lot. When you look at, when you see a revolution going on, around the world, you now know, okay, there's different reasons why revolutions happen because I've just learned about all these different reasons. So again, let's place it in a context. Where are they at? What's the government like? Is it really oppressive? Because if it is, and like, that's probably a factor. Are the people starving to death? Is it religious, cultural? Boom. We are getting better at understanding the algorithm of the way in which the world works, folks. So I'm going to end this episode, this is a shorter one, with this. This is a question that I ask my students from the start. So this will just get you thinking. So class has started. Welcome to Honors World Studies. Take that textbook and burn it. Um, <laughs> my dog was like, what? Here's a question. Should we identify ourselves first as citizens of the United States or citizens of the world? And what are the implications of either? I'll ask it again. 
Should we, as citizens of the United States, should we identify ourselves first as, or priority of, being citizens of the United States or citizens of the world? And what are the implications of either? So, essentially, and I, until there's a better term, I'm going to use, I'm an American. I get that other people in the Americas are American. I could say like I'm a statesman. Is it like I'm a statesman first and people starving in Sudan? That's a bummer, but that's not necessarily my problem. I got to make sure that like that everything's good in the United States first. And like the, the issue that students always come across, like, can it be like somewhere in the middle? Like, no, you have to just pick a side. What are the implications? I'm an American first. So it's America's problems and priorities over everyone else. That could mean going to get, if we really need oil, I don't care who else gets hurt outside of the United States. We need oil. Or I am a human. Everyone else in the world is a human and we are all citizens of the world and we just so happen to divide ourselves up into nations or states, whatever you want to call it, districts. We divide ourselves up and we identify differently and we have different flags, different laws, but we're all human and we're all a part of the human race. So people starving in Africa is my problem. It is our problem. And I should be focused on problems in the world just as much as I'm focused on, and like we as a nation should be focused on our own issues. We're all humans. And I'm a citizen. I identify as a human over my identity as in my country. And what are the implications? Let's break that down. I mean, I did a little bit. The implications of identifying as a statesman or state's person first is I mean there, there's there's good and bad right always good well think of it like this it's the philosophy of in order to help other people I gotta make sure that I'm good first because I can spread myself way too thin so my problems My major problems, like my priority of issues that I have to cover are the ones that are within my own borders, like my home. I have to make sure that I'm good here first. And I'm thinking like collectively, if like we had one mind, right? In the United States. That's my priority. I'm really sorry, people in Mexico who are trying to come into my nation, but like you can't just do that. <laughs> I get things are really bad there, but my priority is making sure that at least the people in my country are accounted for and like covered first. So if there's room, maybe, but until then, like you have to deal with it because you're not an American. 
I just want to clarify. I'm going to be saying a lot of things in this class that it's just from perspective. It's not necessarily what I believe. I will try to the best of my ability to not ever say what I believe. I mean, I will, I will do that sometimes. But I'm saying this right now. This isn't necessarily what I believe because in about a minute, I'm going to be saying the other side. Sorry, people in Mexico. I know it's a major bummer that the cartel is chopping off people's heads and doing some things and like you can't find a job. That's your problem. That's not my problem. You got to deal. You just got to deal with it. I need to focus on my problems first. The implications, like, so the good in that, let's say, is we're not spreading ourselves too thin. As in, like, my priority are the homeless people in the United States. All, like, there's, there are definitely problems in the United States. My money, my attention, and my time, same thing as attention, is going towards that. And until that stuff is handled, I'm not worried about Mexico. You can go away. You can like just figure it out. Now, the downside is is like those are human beings that are experiencing a lot worse life maybe. I don't know about life, maybe. I don't know if they're happy, but they're coming here for a reason. They're experiencing something very bad and like the humanity part is like I am neglecting other humans. Because I've made up this line on a map, and if you're on this side of the line, you're with me. If you're on that side, you're against me, and I'm sorry, but you're not an American, so like you have to deal with it. Like that's the negative side, right? We are we are separating humans from other humans, and it's the humanity aspect. Because we could have the means to help them, it might let's say drag us down a little bit. But like, is it the same as like the 1% like super wealthy people losing some money to give to the poor? I don't know, man. I'm not saying what's right and wrong. I'm just pointing out some things. Doing that, having the America first mindset prevents us from helping others that are humans. Because if the things that were happening in Mexico pretty much with the cartel were happening in the United States, people would be bugging out. But you're not bugging out because it's not in your border. And if you're like, yeah, that's fair. That's I'm not saying you're wrong because the negative side of the other one where like we're all humans, there are so many problems in this world. The more you think about it, the more it'll bring you down. There's a lot of problems. You can't, like, if we were to try, as the United States, try to solve all of the problems, we would collapse because we just can't do it. Money and time. We don't have the means to do that. So, like, a starving child in Africa, like, is that your problem? We need to help those kids out. We need to do something about 
like Hong Kong even. That is a devast Hong what happened in Hong Kong with China is devastating. If it's like world like we if we are all humans like that something has to happen. But that and like and the good thing is we're trying to make life better for everyone on the planet. The bad thing is we can easily quickly spread ourselves way too thin. Obviously there's middle ground. Obviously there's a way to help kids in Africa and people working in sweatshops in Bangladesh and Hong Kong and women in very conservative areas in the Middle East and like people being oppressed by the government. I'm just want to clarify, I'm not saying everywhere. I'm also saying not saying that Africa is just filled with starving children. There are great things going on in Africa. There are bad things going on in Africa. Same thing with the United States. Same thing in South America. It's everywhere. So when I say like women are being oppressed in the Middle East, please don't get triggered like, oh, you white SOB. You don't know. Like, well, I have seen some things. I'm saying it's happening in areas, not everywhere. Is it your problem? The implications of identifying as an American first can be good. It can be bad. Same thing for the other side. So I ask you, this is your homework. This is just something to think about. Maybe even start a discussion with some friends. Oh, listener. And we'll wrap up. Should we identify ourselves first as citizens of the United States or citizens of the world? That's it. So this class, starting next week, we're going to be just diving in next week. Um, I'm going to be releasing weekly episodes. I'm going to do the best that I can to hold myself to that. I'm starting my thesis for grad school in the spring semester. So who knows what will happen. Um, but we're going to try to understand the world from a historical and a geographic sense. So spatially, how are how is this topic different historically? What has it been look like? Or what what has it been look like? What has it looked like? How has it changed? Why are we doing this? We want to understand the algorithm of the world. We want to understand how the world works, right? Understanding this leads to wisdom and helps you navigate through life and through the world with the least amount of resistance as possible. We're con- we will always be experiencing push and pull, but a wise person figures out how things works around them and they figure out how to navigate and to the best of their abilities, work through life in the world. When you see current events going on, when you have to start to make decisions, if you've taken this class you will have a better understanding of how the world works. So your decisions and your opinions will, in my opinion, be better. You're better off taking this class than not. Now, how biased is that of me? (laughs) 
that's it, folks. I will see you next week. We are going to dive into culture next week. Adios.